Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys again this morning. My name's Brand. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Good to have you guys. We are... Um, Uh, Last week we began a series taking a look at the book of Proverbs. That's going to be where we're going to be uh, diving into over the course of the whole summer. And I'm really looking forward to continuing in our study in that. In case you missed it last week, um, Proverbs is part of a genre of of writings in the Bible known as wisdom literature. uh, Wisdom literature is full of uh, contemplation on and instruction for uh, successful living. They're thinking books. They're, they're not meant to be powered through or studied at a glance. They're meant to be mulled over over time. Think of it less like a Snickers bar and more like a Jolly Rancher, right? I don't know how you feel about Jolly Ranchers, but no matter what you do, you got to suck on those for a while, right? That's the process by which you enjoy one. And that's how wisdom literature is. It's something that you tumble around in your mouth over and over for a while, and you process it and you think on it. It's meant to be processed over time and returned to again and again. Because wisdom literature isn't just about information, it's about transformation. It's about the transformation of our hearts and in turn the transformation of our lives. You see, Proverbs is not just a heady thinking book that contemplates the questions of life. It's an incredibly practical book. Because wisdom isn't just about what you know or what you believe, it's about applying those truths to your life in a way that changes your actual everyday life. One commentator says it this way, he says, God cares about our understanding of the massive truths of our existence, but he also cares about the nuances that make a difference in our relationships and our experiences every day. That's where Proverbs helps us to grow in. You see, on one level, Proverbs is kind of like the cheat codes for life. It's a collection of wisdom about how life works best, what what really brings about the best, fullest life, what actually brings about joy, what actually brings about peace. See, the world says, live and learn, but God's wisdom calls us to the opposite. God's wisdom calls us to learn so that we can actually live, to begin with learning, to begin with knowledge, to begin with understanding, to begin with wisdom so that we can actually truly live. And Ecclesiastes is another book um, in, in, uh, in the wisdom literature. It says, there's nothing new under the sun. The writer of Ecclesiastes, what he's saying is, it's all been tried already, people. All the ways to look for life, all the ways to look for happiness, all the ways to look for joy, all the ways to find fulfillment, they've all already been tried. They all just have different faces and different makeup on. They've all already been tried, and only one way has been found not to be lacking. Only one way has been found to actually give the life that it offers. It's God's ways. Proverbs tells us the truth about what life is really like and how it really works. It's a map to life showing us the way to true joy and also showing us the landmines and the ditches that are going to keep us from that joy. And when we follow it, when we follow the the teachings of the book of Proverbs and and of God's word, what, what is produced in us is wisdom. You see, last week as we studied at the beginning of our book of Proverbs, what we saw is that the goal of Proverbs was, was just that, for us to gain wisdom. That's the whole point. As we studied it, as we read it, that, that we would grow in wisdom. And we saw how Proverbs defined wisdom as skill in godly living. Wisdom isn't just about knowing what is right or about being able to have wise, making good decisions. It's about um, skill in knowing how to, what brings about the best life, and those are God's ways. It's skill in godly living. And so the question this morning is, how do you get wisdom? How do you get it? How do you gain it? If the goal of Proverbs is to gain it, how? What's the way? How, what's the process for what that looks like? 
And before we dive into what Proverbs teaches about the way to wisdom, it's important for us to understand um, that Proverbs describes wisdom as a path, not a point. Proverbs describes wisdom as a path, not a point. See, wisdom isn't a door that you walk through. It's a path that you learn to walk on every day. You don't wake up one day and find out that you are wise. That's not how wisdom works. No, every day you wake up with the choice, which path will you choose to walk on? Wisdom comes as we learn to walk on the path of wisdom day by day, over and over and over again. And in order to walk on the path of wisdom, you need to first know how to identify it. And see, in Proverbs, the path of wisdom is constantly being contrasted with another path, another way. And it's the way of the wicked. Remember, wisdom in Proverbs is defined as skill in godly living. And so the opposite is the pursuit of the things that are opposed to who God is and what he's done. And while it should seem like those two paths are very obviously different, it, should be, it seems like, oh yeah, I should be able to tell like which one is which. They seem like really different things. Problem is that Proverbs, what Proverbs makes clear is that oftentimes uh, those paths, they look really similar on the outset. It's hard for us to actually tell them apart sometimes. Proverbs 12, verse, uh, verse 15 says, The way of the fool, it seems right to them. So we don't choose the path of wickedness knowingly most of the time. Rather, we, we think it looks like wisdom. We think it looks like the right way. That's why over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs calls us carefully to to consider the path that we are walking. Proverbs 4, 26 and 27 says, Give careful thought to the paths for your feet. Be steadfast in all your ways. Don't turn from the right or from the left. Keep your foot from evil. Proverbs 21, 29 says, The wicked put up a bold front, but the upright give thought to their ways. Proverbs 14, verse 8, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. The call to get wisdom in Proverbs is an urgent one. It's a pressing one. And the reason why it's so crucial is because, as Proverbs 14.2 tells us, there is a way that appears to be right. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. You see, the two paths, they don't always look so wildly different, but they lead totally different directions. One leads to life. The other one leads to death. Proverbs makes clear to us that, um, that the, the, the path that we walk on, it has real consequences that actually affect us. Proverbs talks about those consequences being physical things, things that affect us here and now in this life, and also spiritual things. Proverbs talks about those consequences having to do with our relationships with people and our relationship with God. Talks about having those consequences to what we do and the, what, the path that we walk on having temporary, immediate effects and also eternal, lasting effects. You see, the path of wisdom is not just about this life, it's about eternity as well. And so the question is this morning, how do we get wisdom? We really need it. Because one path leads to life and the other one leads to death. So how do we get the wisdom that we need? As we study this morning, what I want to show us is that Proverbs highlights three signposts that mark the path to wisdom for us. Three, three markers along the way that give us insight to know which path we're on and which path to choose. The three signposts are this. The path to wisdom is to want wisdom to submit to wisdom, and to heed wisdom. And so let's pray. We'll dive into our study this morning. Jesus, we just come. We just say we need you. 
We need you to give us insight and understanding into your word. God, without you, like we just we can't hope to understand what is here. And so, God, we just ask humbly that you'd, you'd speak to us through your word, that you'd make your, your will and your ways known to us so that we would grow in wisdom. We know that is your heart. We know that's the point that why you, you uh, kept and gave Proverbs to us, God. And so we ask that you would speak to us through it. God, I just pray humbly that you'd fill me with your spirit so that as I teach this morning, God, what comes out is your words for us. God, we love you. We want to follow you. We want to obey you. We need your help to do that this morning. In your good name we pray. Amen. Amen. There are three signposts that Proverbs points out for us on the, on the way to wisdom. And I think the first one is this. The first step to the path to wisdom is simply this. You've got to want wisdom. You have to want it. You have to seek it out. Proverbs verses 4, uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 and 7 says this. I think it's on the screen. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. The first step on the path to wisdom simply begins with the desire for wisdom. Proverbs 4 is putting it blunt for us. The way to get wisdom is to come after it. If you want wisdom, come and get it. But the kind of desire for wisdom, the kind of pursuit of wisdom that Proverbs says marks the path to wisdom is not a dispassionate inquiry. It's not a, hmm, that looks interesting, maybe I'll check it out sometime. Rather, it's an all-in kind of commitment. Verse 7 says, though it costs all you have, get understanding. There's a story that's told uh, about the ancient Greek philosopher Socrates. Many of you have heard of him. He's kind of the, one of the famous Greek philo- ancient Greek philosophers. There's a story that's told about him about this young man who comes, and he says, Oh, great Socrates, I come to you, I ask for knowledge. And so the philosopher takes this dude down a path to the sea, and he walks with him, and they get down to the water, and they wade into the water, and he just dunks him under the water. A little Nacho Libre action going on there, right? And so the philosopher, he dunks him under the water, holds him there for 30 seconds, I can only imagine how much that would have freaked this dude out, by the way. And he lets him up for air, and he asks him, what do you want? And the kid says, knowledge, Socrates, knowledge. And so he dunks him again. And he brings him up and asks him again, and the same answer, and he dunks him again, over and over and over. And finally, he brings him up, he says, what do you want? And the guy says, air, I want air. And so Socrates, he finally comes and he says, now when you want knowledge as much as you want air, then you'll have it. You see, that's the kind of desire that Proverbs is talking that we need to have if we want to get wisdom. It has to be the thing that we want like we want air. It can't just be a passing desire. It can't just be a, 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 a momentary craving. It has to be something that fills our hearts. That is a deep longing that we have. And throughout the Bible, what the Bible actually says is that God's the one who puts that desire in you. It's not something you just flip a switch and turn on. And so the first step to wisdom is that we need to, we need to want wisdom. That's the kind of desire that Proverbs says marks the path to wisdom. It's an all-in kind of commitment. It's an all-in kind of, kind of pursuit. In Luke chapter 14, verses 23, Jesus' words echo what we see here in Proverbs 14. He says, anyone who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. See, the cost of wisdom is high, but it is so 
worth that you see throughout Proverbs. Wisdom is extolled in this way. Proverbs 16, 16, it says, How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver. Proverbs 3, verses 14 through 15 adds, Wisdom is more profitable than silver. It yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. You see, wisdom is free, but it is not cheap. It's free, but it is not cheap. And it's only when we realize the value of wisdom, what's really at stake, that it will be for us something we truly long for, the way that we long for air. The Proverbs makes clear that wanting wisdom is not enough. Wanting wisdom is just the first step along the path. Wanting wisdom is not enough. See, the second thing that Proverbs highlights for us that it defines on the path to wisdom is that we need to submit ourselves to the true source of wisdom itself. That's what Proverbs is referring to over and over when it uses the language, the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1-7, I think this is on the screen for you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 15, verse 33, wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. So what does it mean for us to fear the Lord, and why is that such a non-negotiable part of the path to wisdom? We have, we, I think in, in the English language, we have a really hard time understanding what fear is about, what, what the Bible's talking about when it says fear, because there's just really not a good English translation for the Hebrew word of fear. In Hebrew, the word for fear has overtones of awe and reverence and, and humble submission. When we think about fear, often we just think about being scared of something. But that's, not, that, that's a small picture of what the Bible talks about, more so... Fear in the Bible, what it's really getting at is the idea of being overwhelmed by something, the idea of being controlled by something, the idea of being consumed by something. When the Bible talks about the word fear, usually what it's talking about is the, is the idea of worship. That's why the Bible defines fear into two main categories. Basically, it's the fear of God and the fear of everything else. One is described positively, the other is described negatively. For example, even in Proverbs, Proverbs 28, 14 says this, Blessed is the one who trembles before the Lord, that word's also translated, who fears before the Lord, but whoever hardens his heart is fall, in, is fall into trouble. So blessed is the one who fears the Lord. Proverbs 29, 25 says this conversely, Fear of man will prove to be a snare. Whatever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. One is described positively, one is described negatively. See, psychologists, they tell us that when you understand your greatest fear, you'll understand what your heart treasures most. If you see your greatest fear, then you'll see your greatest love. And that sounds kind of weird on the front. It sounds kind of odd. That sounds like it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But, but it does because whatever you love the most, whatever you desire most, whatever you have the most, awe and reverence for is the thing you fear losing the most. Or the thing that you'll do anything to keep or to get. It is the thing you functionally worship. It's the thing that has an overwhelming, controlling influence on your life. And so when the fear of God is the overwhelming, controlling influence of our lives, we're in the spot that we're made to be, that we're intended to be. Because the very purpose of all people is to worship God. Remember, fear is not about being scared of God. It's about having a reverence and an awe and a worship for him. 
Everything else falls into its rightful place when God is put in the spot of worship in our lives. It leads to life and blessing and joy because God is not just powerful, he's good. But when the fear of something else other than God is the overwhelming, controlling influence of our lives, when we worship something else, everything else gets out of whack. It always leads to pain, it always leads to heartache, it always leads to conflict, it always leads to destruction, because it's sin. Sin is putting something else in the place where God is supposed to be, and sin corrupts everything. You see, a right understanding of God is what leads us to a healthy and proper fear of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 6, it's just such a healthy picture of what that looks like for us. When Isaiah encounters the magnitude and the greatness of, and the utter holiness of God, he responds in the only way possible. He says this in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. He says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah is broken over his sin. But Isaiah's vision of God doesn't end with God's holiness and Isaiah's condemnation. It ends with God's grace and Isaiah's commissioning because verse 6 goes on and it says this, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which we had taken from the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth. He said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away from you. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. You see, when we see the holiness of God, we see the magnitude of our own sin, and we see the justness of God in in his righteous opposition of our sin. But on the cross, what we see is the matching greatness of God's grace which makes unworthy sinners like you and like me and like Isaiah cleansed and commissioned for a life of mission, a life of, of service, a life of worship to God. Psalms 130, verse 4, it sums it up best this way. It says, but with you, God, there is forgiveness so that with reverence or with fear, we can serve you. Tim Keller, I think, just really helpfully says this. He says, the more we experience God's grace and forgiveness, the more we experience a trembling awe and wonder before the greatness of all that he is and all that he has done for us. Fearing him means bowing before him out of amazement at his glory and his beauty. You see, a right understanding of God leads us to a right relationship with him. It's it's a relationship that's characterized by submission to his authority and, and his majesty. That's what Keller is talking about when he says fearing him means bowing before him. The world works the way it does. Life works best the way it does because God designed it that way. And so the search for wisdom must always begin with a fear of God, with a reverence for God, with a humility before Him, with a submission to Him, because it's His ways that make for the best life. That's what Proverbs 3, verses 3, verse 5, it says, In all your ways submit to Him, and He'll make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. That's what Proverbs 3 is talking about. It's about submitting ourselves to the, uh, to the source of wisdom. See, the fear of the Lord is the profession that there is no other place to go for wisdom. You can't get true wisdom without God. Proverbs 2, verse 6 says it this way, The Lord gives wisdom 
from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 8.22 says it this way, The Lord brought me wisdom personified here forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. And what's more is that Proverbs says that it's not just the fear of God in general, it's the fear of the Lord. When you read your Bibles, it's capitalized, L-O-R-D, all caps. That, that's a way that our English translations, they translate the covenant name of God, um, Yahweh. And it's translated at this point. One commentator pulled, points it out this way. He says, by using the covenant name of the Lord, or Yahweh, in preference to more generic words for God, Proverbs makes the point that the truth and wisdom is found through Israel's God alone, through Yahweh, through one God. And so the fear of the Lord is about putting God in his rightful place in our lives, as the one who has all authority and all power and all wisdom, as the one who we submit our lives to, as the one who we wholly, entirely rely on, as the one who holds the, who holds the overwhelming, controlling influence in our lives. It's about the one who will worship, the one who will give our lives to serve. Proverbs 19, verse 2, it says this, desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will the hasty feet miss their way? You see, wisdom is not enough. Wanting wisdom is not enough. We must submit ourselves to the source of wisdom. We must know the source of wisdom and submit ourselves to him in order to gain wisdom. And there's one more signpost that Proverbs marks as the path to wisdom, the way to gaining wisdom. We need to want wisdom. We need to submit ourselves to the source of wisdom. And last, we we need to heed wisdom. We need to actually listen to it and actually do what it says. Remember, wisdom is a path, not a door. And like we said last week, wisdom is the skill of godly living. It's something we acquire over time as day after day we choose to heed the word of God. That's why over and over and over again in Proverbs, there's a call to listen and a call to heed the wisdom of God. I think these verses are on the screen for you. It begins Proverbs 4, 1 and 2 says, Listen, my sons, to your father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning. So don't forsake my teaching. Proverbs 12, 15 says it this way. The way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 19, 20, listen to advice and accept discipline. At the end, you'll be counted among the wise. Proverbs 23, 12, apply your heart to instruction and your ears towards knowledge. Proverbs 10, 17, whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life. Whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Proverbs 16, 20. Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers. And blessed is the one who trusts the Lord. You see, it is not enough to just want wisdom and to know where it comes from. We have to choose the path of wisdom every day. It's a choice we have every day, often many times a day. Which path will we choose to walk on or will we... Will we be seduced or deceived by the path of the wicked, or will we choose the path of wisdom which actually leads to life? You see, sometimes God's wisdom seems counterintuitive or even restrictive to our eyes. It's not the easy way oftentimes. But God's wisdom is different than the world's. I just bring us back again to, to the, Solomon's words in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, there is nothing new under the sun. It's all been tried already. It's all already been tried. 
There's just one way to life. God's way is the one that's been proven to give the life it offers. And so as we choose again and again to submit to God and to heed his wisdom, what will happen little by little, day by day, time over time, is that we will grow wise. You see, according to Proverbs, gaining wisdom, growing in wisdom, is not so much a function of these big dramatic decisions or events, but it's a result of the little choices that we make every day. And I hope that you hear that as something that's encouraging to you and also something that's challenging to you. You see, a lot of times I think what happens is that we look at our spiritual lives and our spiritual growth kind of like a stock chart. And some of us are stuck in the day view of the stock chart. When you look at the day view, it feels like your spiritual walk is just like this roller coaster. It's like, man, I feel like I'm good here and I'm down here, and it feels like I'm just all over the place. What happens for many of you, I just want to encourage you, you've got to zoom out on that thing. Because when you zoom out, what you realize is that those wild shifts, it's probably like three cents on the stock chart. It just looks like a big deal because you're zoomed in so close. When you zoom out, what you see is a trajectory oftentimes. You see a trajectory of the way that God has been slowly growing you in wisdom over time. I hope that you see that as an encouragement. Sometimes when you look at the stock chart, there are big changes. But that's not the norm. Those are rare. Those are few and far between. More so often what always happens, it's the little changes over time. And when there are declines and when there is growing, it's the result of lots of little changes in one direction or the other over time. See, gaining wisdom is a slow process that we join God in every day. He is faithful to grow us as we desire wisdom, as we submit to him, as we heed his wisdom. That's the path to wisdom that Proverbs lays out for us. And so the path seems pretty clear. Why why then does wisdom seem like it's not the thing that characterizes us all the time? The path to wisdom, it seems well outlined. So why, why doesn't wisdom characterize us all the time? What keeps us from gaining wisdom? And the short answer is a lot of things, but in the end it really comes down to just one thing. You see, for some of us, we're too easily satisfied. Proverbs one twenty two. it says this, How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? C.S. Lewis famously said it this way in his sermon, The Weight of Glory. He says, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward of the staggering nature of the rewards God promised us in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us and like ignorant children who go on making mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I know that this is true for me. I settle for the temporary and fleeting pleasures of comfort or escape all too often. And it keeps me from growing in wisdom. It keeps me from leading and serving. And it never really actually satisfies. It always leaves you longing for more. And it's an area that God's been graciously but relentlessly disciplining my heart on over the course of the last few years. 
See, Proverbs 122, again, it says, How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will the mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? But verse 23 goes on, it says, Repent at my rebuke, and I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. See, repentance is such a gift that we have. It's an acknowledgement that we've been believing lies, which have been, um, when merged, uh, believing a lie. And when we merge that with faith in what is true, uh, the acknowledgement of the lies that we've been believing with the the faith in what is true, when when we look at the cross, what we see is the life that really does satisfy. For some, what keeps us from wisdom is that we're just too easily satisfied. For some, what keeps us from wisdom is that we don't want to pay the cost. See, the path to wisdom is hard. It leads to true life, but it's not a shortcut. At the end of the movie Harry Potter, uh, the, the Goblet of Fire, Voldemort is finally returned, and before leaving Hogwarts for the summer, Dumbledore tells Harry these ominous words, right? He says, difficult, uh, dark and difficult times lie ahead. Soon we must all face the choice between what is right and what is easy. You see, like I said before, wisdom is free for the taking, but wisdom isn't cheap. God offers it, oft, he God offers it openly to us, but it's not cheap. You see, often we choose what is easy instead of what is right, often to disastrous ends, like what happens in the, in the same movie to the many who choose the easy road in the Harry Potter series, right? We don't want to pay the cost. We don't want to do what is difficult, and the way to wisdom is not always the easy way. For some, what keeps us from wisdom is simply refusing to commit. We like to be open to lots of ideas and ways of thinking. It seems narrow-minded to say that there's just one way. And Proverbs says that this is the way of the simple. It looks like wisdom, but it's just folly. It's just ignorance. I have a friend uh, who thinks like this. The way he talks about it, he always just says, everybody has a piece of the truth. He often likes to refer to this example about there's these, the story of these four blind men who are all touching different parts of an elephant, and they're describing a different part. Uh, One guy touches the leg, and one's touching the trunk, and one's touching the ear, and they're all describing what they think they see. They all have a piece of the truth, but they just don't have the whole thing. That's the way he thinks about it. The problem with that claim is that um, in order to make that claim, you have to be able to see the whole elephant. You have to be able to see the whole picture of the truth, which is the very thing you claim no one can do. So it's a foolish argument. It's, 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 a, it's a pointless argument because you cannot say that everyone only has a piece of what is true unless you can see the whole truth. So oftentimes what keeps us from, from wisdom is refusing to commit to say that there really is one way to it. For some, it's just a matter of pride. We don't want to admit that we do not have the wisdom that we need. Life is going just fine. I don't need any help. Proverbs has tough words for us when we find ourselves in that spot. Proverbs 28, 26, those who trust in themselves, no uncertain words here, those who trust in themselves are fools. But those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Proverbs 26, 12 says this, do you see a person who's wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for them than there is a fool. Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that appears right. In the end, it leads to death. See, for some of us, what keeps us from wisdom is a refusal to commit. For some, it's pride. For some, it's comfort. For some, it's, it's many of these things. But more importantly, most often what is going on in our hearts and the, what keeps us from wisdom is a refusal to submit 
There is something else that has a controlling influence in our life that we will not give up or cannot give up. Maybe you don't want to give up a certain area of control of your life. Because wisdom is about trusting God and his ways which sometimes don't make sense to us. Maybe you don't want to give up a certain area of comfort or, or, of, or of, of escape that you find. Maybe, like I said before, we are too easily satisfied. Or maybe you know that the path of wisdom is hard and so you just don't want to do it. Proverbs calls to say that. Proverbs, God's ways are not always easier, but they always end in life. Maybe you're afraid of losing the approval of those around you by choosing God's ways and his values and his priorities. The call of Proverbs is that God's ways are different than this world's ways. Maybe you want to be the one who has the final say in your life. Maybe you want the power and you don't want to give it over to God, letting him be king instead of you be king. You see, at the end of all of these things, the thing that keeps us from wisdom is the thing that we, is the, is the idea that we functionally worship something else. Something else has the controlling influence in our lives. So the question is, how do we overcome those barriers? How do we overcome the things that keep us from walking on the path of wisdom, from gaining wisdom? And the Bible is clear that it begins with humility and repentance that comes as we look at the one who was wise for us. You see, Jesus is the one who desired wisdom perfectly. He is the one who submitted to wisdom perfectly. Remember in the garden, Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is the one who heeded wisdom perfectly. And what we see on the cross is Jesus, the wisdom of God, suffering and dying for simpletons and fools and mockers like you and like me so that we would be made wise for salvation, so that his wisdom, his skillfully lived life in godliness would be credited to us. And so in response to him, empowered by him, out of a joyful longing to worship the one who has saved us, we daily choose to pursue him and to pursue wisdom found in him. And so we lay down our pride as Jesus did in Philippians chapter 2, not demanding to be treated as God, but instead choosing to humble himself. And we choose obedience in the path to wisdom, even though it's costly. And we see Jesus doing that again in Philippians 2 as he chooses to be obedient, even to the point of death, even though it cost him everything. And we, so what we see is that Jesus did that knowing it was worth it. Not begrudgingly, not forced into it. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And so for the joy that is set before us, the joy that has been already secured for us by the wisdom of God, in spite of our foolishness, we walk the path of wisdom that Jesus walked and invites us into with him. And so we refuse to live for anything else, and we refuse to worship anything else, and we say, Jesus, you alone are the one who is worth having the controlling influence of my life. In communion, what we remember as we celebrate is that in our need and in our inadequacy and in the midst of our pride, Jesus, the word of God, the wisdom of God, came to make us wise. And the bread, it reminds us of Jesus' body, which was broken for us, as in wisdom, Jesus lived the life that we did not. And the drink reminds us of Jesus' blood, which was shed for us. It looked like foolishness as he died the death our foolish rebellion deserved. And communion is a chance for us to repent and to turn from the very things that Jesus died to free us from. As we take communion, what we are doing 
with one another and with ourselves is that we're proclaiming the gospel, that it's Christ crucified, which while it might seem like foolishness is, is actually the wisdom of God that sets us free from slavery to sin and enables us to choose to walk, to follow him in the path of wisdom. See, communion doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't save you. Faith alone in Jesus has done that. And it's only through him that we'll be reconciled to God and to others and to begin to live in a way that's truly wise. Remember, wisdom does not come apart from God. And so if we want to be wise, we must embrace him. The invitation for all of us, then, is to embrace Jesus as king, the God of the universe, so that we might become truly wise. And so as we sing and worship and remember the gospel together in song, Submit yourself to him. Humble yourself before him in fear and in worship. Ask God to put within you a desire to pursue wisdom. He's the one who, he is the only one who can put that longing in your heart. Ask him to do it. Ask him to show you what, what has the overwhelming influence in your life so that you can turn from it and turn towards him and towards wisdom. And ask him to give you the strength by his spirit so that you might heed the wisdom that he offers, even when it is difficult, even when it is hard. See, the gospel is this, that it's not our wisdom that makes us right with God. It's Jesus' wisdom that was credited to us. And what we celebrate is him. What we hope in is him. And what we rely on is him. And who we follow is him. And the path to wisdom is him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just come this morning and are so thankful for our time in your word. Thankful for the ways that you have uh, laid out for us what wisdom really is and what it looks like for us to pursue it. And so God, I pray just graciously, God, would you put within us a desire for wisdom, a longing for it. God, would you cause us to, to fear you in healthy and good ways that, that our, our lives would be controlled by you by an awe for you and a reverence for you and a worship of you in light of who you are and all that you've done. God, and I pray that you would cause us by your spirit to have the strength we need to heed the wisdom that you lay out for us in Proverbs. God, we need you to give us eyes to see the things that are keeping us from that, things that keep us from choosing every day to walk the path of wisdom with you. God, you are the source of wisdom. It comes from nowhere else, from no one else other than you. And so God, give us the strength to, to put ourselves under your good authority. God, we want to submit to you so that you would make us wise. God, for our good, for our life, for our joy, but most importantly, God, for your glory in this world and in all ages. We pray this in your good name. Amen.